0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Let's do it. Also with us is Jed Brewer. Yeah! We're once again not joined by regular co-host Lee Younger. He uh, tragically got lost in the mountains of North Carolina on the way back from Carolina Point. We hope that they're uh, all uh, present and accounted for by the next recording session. I have a strange hunch. He will be. We're going to press on in his stead, though, and I bring to us a, an article from one relevant magazine, a, a publication who is often uh, ironically titled, <laughs> but not necessarily this week. And fellas, I'm going to read a headline that can only constitute an emergency. In 2019, almost all of Facebook's top Christian pages were run by foreign troll farms. Oh. (laughs) For those keeping score at home, uh, 19 of the top 20 uh, Christian American Facebook pages were uh, troll farms based mostly in Eastern Mm. Europe, particularly Kosovo and Macedonia. Yeah. If you've ever wondered to yourself, I wonder what the main exports of Kosovo and Macedonia is. Apparently, it's a misquoted... Uh quotes from history over sunsets
1: <laughs> mm. Wow
0: now before we get into this, I do want to uh point out this might explain another internet phenomenon I've noticed, and we have shared amongst ourselves in a private group chats before, and that's uh like the internet quote phenomenon, but it's this weird thing where kind of you guys know what I mean by like hustle culture like with the, oh yeah. You know, yeah, you got to yeah. stay on your grind and get money and all that has, you know, it's, so it's the picture with like the Bentley pulled up in front of the private jet, but then it's yeah. got like a Gandhi quote.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right.
0: And that didn't make any sense to me until I realized it might be a 14 year old in Kosovo who's just cranking these things out to try to get some clicks.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Wait. yeah, one of the.
1: One of the things I loved about this is that the uh, scan down the names of these uh, pages that are apparently the top uh, Christian American pages on Facebook. Number four is speak loudly.
0: (laughs) And I just want to know. Their message has really connected with American Christians.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, they had to have gone through a lot of different options, kind of workshopped them, you know, test marketed them.
0: Just wonder how they got to speak loudly. I think that's a good one. There's there's some real winners on this one. There's some that are kind of exactly what you'd expect. Uh, Number six is just entitled Positive Quotes. Mm. So, you know, does what it says on the 10. Uh, 18 is Simply Beautiful. So that's something. Then there are some that are a little more esoteric. 10, Why Not Us? (laughs) (laughs) Don't really know what that means. (laughs) Uh, Number one uh, is titled, Be Happy, Enjoy Life. Now, if you've run across the average American Christian Facebook user, I question whether or not they're really letting that particular motto sink in. They are not. Maybe, be angry, yell about made up thing would be a little closer (laughs) to the bone. And gentlemen, this gives us two, I think, two important areas to cover, one of which is a bit of a, a mea culpa from your friends at the Say That podcast, a bit of a a confession, if you will. Now, as you know, we've been on the front lines of the, the cyber war against cyborg Jolostein.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. And we've really yeah.
0: been focusing our attentions on the uh, coming uh, singularity of machine and megachurch preacher. And is it possible that we got so caught up looking for that, that we let the bots sneak up on us?
2: Whoa. You know? I, I think that we need to face that that is possible, Matt. These bots are everywhere, dude.
0: That's right. We were, we were so busy building up our Maginot line against a full frontal Osteen bot assault. We, we really let the, the uh, Macedonian bots come in through Belgium. That's a World War I joke for all you fans <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed that. So there's that, and we again we apologize because in a big big way this is our fault. We were looking out for the wrong robots. But I think we need to look to the positive, and that's how hard can it be for us to start our own troll bot farm?
2: Oh. oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the things we have to look at is you know what what's our goal, right? Because I mean the the uh, at least as far as we can tell, I mean the the goal of the the current troll farms that we're dealing with is is to destabilize American democracy. That's pretty directly what they right. are shooting for. So like kind of what our, our troll army, like what are we trying to do? I mean, is it something really diabolical? Are we just trying to move units? Like what, what are we trying to accomplish here?
1: Well, I've, you know, I love the word diabolical, you know, like maybe something a bond villain would come up with.
2: Okay. Where okay. it's
1: like, uh, you know, like where we I- explain, how the person's going to die, but it's going to take a long time. And then, you know, you got then I'm going to leave the room and you got plenty of time to work on it.
2: Right. Right. No, that feels like it's definitely in the right direction. Absolutely.
1: That's when, when I hear diabolical, that's what I think.
2: Oh, dude, I, well, one way that we could go with this, that I think could be really good would be if we wanted to apply James Bond villain methods to dealing with questionable practices from the mega church, mm. right? So rather than like, you know, you, you think about the, because they were on the show, you know, recently, a great interview, you know, the, the, the dude from, I believe I have the name, right? Preachers and sneakers. Yep. You know? And so it's, you know, Kind of commenting on excess in you know the the megachurch world and, and an over focus on image and presentation, and you know he's doing that through a vehicle of an Instagram account, you know, kind of offering comments that way. But what if we were kidnapping people and tying them to a laser? Yes, wouldn't that be a way to deal with this problem too? Totally.
1: I think first of all, this feels really spiritual, right? And I'm thinking it. If you if you, if you find yourself a, you know dude that needs to change his ways, and you tie him to you know thing, and you got a laser and it's moving towards him agonizingly slow.
2: Yes. Then you know he's got time to think about his life choices. It would have to happen in our subterranean layer. Yes. On an uncharted island. Yeah. I mean, th- this all goes without saying, of course. Well, you
1: you got to have a volcano in there, you know, like a you know hollowed out volcano and
2: whatnot. Yes, yes, absolutely. And,
1: and a, a way for our submarine to dock in, you know, go into it underwater kind of deal.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, we get
1: we, this. This stuff writes itself. I mean, we're, we're ready to go.
0: Absolutely, I think that this is all fantastic stuff here. And but I to uh, to pitch another way we could go about this. As Jed points out, you know, a lot of the the current bot farming is, you know, your anti-vax stuff, your—or do we really need elections kind of stuff, this kind of, you know, situation, uh, put with a a lovely little uh, misrepresented Bible quote. Could we just counter-program?
2: Okay, tell me. would
0: not the idea of—you know, and we've talked before about if you have maybe some some vaccine-skeptical people, uh, anti-vax people in your life— uh, you're not going to win that argument on the merits because the merits right. are out there. They're aware of the merits. I think the, the the old standby for this was I recently heard someone describe being in, I think they were in Missouri and walking into like a place and someone accosting them for wearing a face mask at which point they pointed out, oh, I guess you just want the government to be able to identify you through CCTV, huh? <laughs> now, playing on the paranoia and the horribleness, of course, but to get results, mm. Right. So I wonder if we can just kind of, you know, they don't want you to get vaccinated. Here's what. Here's why uh, the government stops immigration. They're worried you'll be too nice to them, too nice to them, and too many of them will come to your church. That's what they're trying to stop. Don't let them.
1: (laughs) That's right.
0: Well, you know, my
1: question is with all this bot farming. Like aren't they aren't they putting people out of work? You know, like regular farmers trying to you know grow their crops and whatnot. So there's a lot of controversy to this thing. You know, certainly. Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, you know, the, you got all these bots on the internet, but you know, like, how do you stop them? Because, like, you know, if if you got like a regular sort of Android type robot. You know, like your T1000 type of deal. Sure. Yeah. Not the liquid
2: he, metal guy, but, you know, just the regular Android.
1: Regular guy. I mean, you know, pretty tough to take down. But like these bots are like invisible. Yeah. So like, how do you
2: even deal with that? How indeed? How indeed?
0: Original and in Macedonian, which is, I, I just didn't see that one coming. I got to be
2: honest. Well, maybe one of the ways to fight back, I'm, I'm going again to the name of these various pages. And, you know, I think Matt has already laid the groundwork here. Um, uh, but what if we really did just counter program, but beginning with the name of the group? So, for example, we have uh-huh. Happiness in Your Mind. We just launched a group, Happiness is Not in Your Mind. And just go Mm. post by post and and just disagree with everything that's being said. But again, with a beautiful picture of a sunset.
0: So you're thinking kind of a a flash, reverse flash situation. This is exactly what I'm
2: saying. Yes, you've got it. You've got it.
0: I like that. We we comment in all their pictures with just the same image, but the opposite quote. (laughs) Don't be the change you want to see in the world, (laughs) you jerk. (laughs) You've got it. You've got it. Exactly. I think there's something to be said for neutralization as a goal here. Yeah. Well, let's let's combine some ideas here. Can we get you know very uh, beautiful black and white photos and put quotes from various Bond villains on them and see how much traction <laughs> they get?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like a nice field and like a sunset and you know. No, I expect you to die, Mister Bond, just over in a yes, like a fancy uh, script. Type font with
0: that. There's also we could I think we could turn that scene, the the famous No I expect you to die scene into like a weird Christian movie. Oh yeah. From like, you know, yeah, he, he was asked if if he expected him to tell him what he knew about his faith, said no, I expect you to die, but he escaped through the power of the Lord and a silver <laughs> coin that was in his pocket for no reason.
1: <laughs> Dude, I think you just invented a new genre of Christian movie. It's the Christian spy movie.
2: Yeah, sure.
1: We, where you get the, the, you know, the, the, you know, James Bond, but he's got a sweater, but that sweater is bulletproof. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you got the, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. People would love to see that. I'm sure.
0: Well, I think we can pitch it with a uh, Christian. James Bond has to fight the troll farms.
2: Yes. Nice.
0: So that's his undercover mission.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's going over to Eastern Europe and fighting off laser beams and robots in order to uh, keep people from, you know, completely ignoring the fact that you have no idea who this person is that you're reposting on your Facebook.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking at a, a page of, uh, Blofeld quotes you know the, okay. the many many time bad guy and I think a couple of these we could get real traction with uh, with um some Christian Facebook pages the things that me. bring people together out of horror beauty I feel like we can pass that <laughs> off as like kind of an Augustine it's very yeah 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 it's very dark you know oh this one this one would disturbingly work perfect Washington D.C. Since we have not heard from them, they will hear from us. Oh, dude, and he's yeah, saying that, that diamonds totally forever about blowing up major cities with a with a, a laser. It starts actually for that. Perhaps New York, with all that smut and traffic, might be given a chance for a fresh start, but not Washington D.C. Like, I that could get a hundred thousand likes on a Christian Patriot Facebook page tomorrow.
2: Yes, yes.
1: No doubt about it. Plus, you know, uh, these uh, megachurch pastors, we are have already documented, they're dealing with laser beams right now.
0: That's true. Big laser beam fans. Well, that and uh, because he—apparently uh, the character's name is, th- is a uh, triple name here, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Mm. That, of course, holds to the Christian author naming tradition of, you know, the name—let's see— we shall see a new power dominating the world. Es Blofeld. <laughs> and just put it like over an image of a leather round Bible. Your <laughs> aunt would share that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just,
1: just stroking a little cat and the, yeah, that's the whole thing.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think we did it. I think that's, uh, that's going to be the newest thing, uh, sweeping the internet. And, uh, and not noticeably worse than the current things that are sweeping the internet. So that's, there's something to be said for that, I think. Absolutely. And on that, we will declare troll emergency off. Yes. We, uh, we, we hope that no one will turn a troll bot farm towards our own uh, online endeavors, which include uh, the bridge cast, which you can catch every Sunday at 7 PM central time, facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. Even if you uh, can't catch it live, wherever you are in the world, you can Uh, Just head on to the Facebook page and find every single episode archived to peruse at your convenience. You can also check out Bridgebox. Get some good stuff into your inbox first every month at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And uh, as far as we know, bot free. We can't guarantee that, but we haven't had anyone try to, uh, you know, blow us up with a laser beam yet. And we hope to keep that going. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you handle this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get touch this, or you can scroll down in your episode description, click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I have a hard time taking advice. It does not feel natural for me to put effort into something that someone else wants me to do. How can God help me with this? And a, another really great question, a really honest question. And Glenn, where would we start off?
1: Well, let's, let's actually start here. If you have asked for advice, then you are to be celebrated for that alone. That's amazing. Uh, asking for advice is sort of the uh, ninja level of of anything. If you're looking to be improved in things, if you're looking to kind of take things to the next level, skip over a lot of learning things the hard way, all of that advice is the way that you get there. Uh the you know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the funny thing is the the people most likely to ask for advice are the people who need it the least. You know, the people who really really need it uh, are, are sometimes less likely to ask for advice. So if you're asking for advice, you're you're doing great, and you know, struggling to follow advice, I think is a natural thing. You know, some of that is because if you, you know, there's a way that seemed right to you, you did it and it didn't work. So you're asking for advice. If they tell you something other than what you're thinking of, by definition, that's going to be not something that you thought was the best way to do it. So um, it's going to sound funny. It's going to seem, you know, you maybe that won't work. Uh, and then, you know, it's a process of pushing through that. But my guess is, in your case, this might be advice that you didn't ask for. Uh, and the the problem with that ought to be fairly self-evident. If you're not asking for advice and somebody's kind of pushing in and giving you that advice, well, first of all, that tends to not be a very welcome thing. It's not something you enjoy. Uh, hopefully that's someone that you trust and someone who's smart that's giving you good advice that you really need. But, you know, it, it's sort of the, the same sort of thing that the people most likely to give you unsolicited advice are not the most best uh, advice givers in your life you know the, the the people more most likely to push through and give you an unsolicited advice are maybe the, the least uh, reliable on the advice uh but i think even if it's good advice that you didn't ask for it's difficult to to, to go by that because you didn't think you needed it if you if you thought you needed the advice, you'd ask for it. If you're not asking for it, you you figure, I got this. I, I'm, I'm on to how to fix it. I just kind of can't get the conditions to line up, and I can't quite get things arranged the way I want. But I'm on the right track, that kind of thinking. If somebody cuts across to you and say, you are not on the right track, you are not going to be able to hook this up, that's you're going to dislike that it's changing the channel on your thinking it's it's saying you're trying to go up this road i'm telling you that there's nothing down that road you got to take this other road so there's normally human reasons and understandable reasons why this can be a challenge uh but i i'd i'd point you to one you know overarching concept on this which is to recognize that I think there's a cultural thing. It's this idea of being your own little sovereign person, you know, or the idea that, you know, I I want to run things and that that's what makes you strong and powerful and uh, have self-esteem and all of that is when you are in charge of you and you only do what you want to do and you don't have to do what anybody else tells you to do. Uh that actually is the opposite of the life that God is calling us to. God is calling us to a life where we serve other people. So that even in leadership, we're looking to uh be there for people and help them and, and minister to them and lift them up and care for them. Uh so that idea of I am the top of the the mountaintop here, and I don't need to be beholden to anybody else. Is really, I think, uh, the the kind of mentality that is is sort of seeping in through culture in a way that we don't question or worry about. We don't think that that's something to be concerned about. But in the end, I think it gets us drifting into this mentality of I'm a little less likely to want to take this advice.
0: That's well, a very very good place to start us off. And Jed, I really like what Glenn's giving us here, I think it's a very very important thing of differentiating between types of advice and sources of advice uh, is really going to help us figure out what's going on here, I think. Right.
2: Oh, there's no question about it. There's no question about it. I think that here's one of the interesting things, right, is that in order to act on any advice, whether you kind of resent it or not, ultimately you are going to have to make it your own decision. Um, You know, I mean, if you if you think about it right, even if the advice is good you still have to decide that the advice is good and then choose to act on it that's that's just kind of how this works so i think the the thing that we need to examine here is how do we how do we approach things so that we can see some benefit pretty quickly um we're we're all busy we're all distracted how do we do things in a way where we can start to feel a payoff right away because life is full of people that want to give advice, some of which in a sense can be good, where all you need to do is make a hundred changes and stick with them for the next 15 years. And then you're going to really love how this works out. And that's not easy advice to take or to stick with because that is quite a commitment. Um, The old phrase, low hanging fruit is is a good thing here. So like, you know, if you think about the idea of you're walking along and you you come across an apple tree, you know, there might be some apples that you can just reach up and grab. Those are the low-hanging fruit. There's others where you'd have to climb the tree to get to them. So the low-hanging fruit is the easy stuff. So if you were – whether you asked for it or not, if you imagine, you know, maybe you're not sleeping super great because, um, I don't know, maybe you're going through a pandemic or something. And if you knew someone and the topic of sleep came up and, you know, they they knew stuff about how to sleep better. I think that the conversation could pretty easily be well here are the 10 things that you need to do and you need to change in order to improve your sleep. And the funny thing is they could be right about all 10 of those. Like they could all be good ideas and all stuff that that would make a difference and be worth doing. But I think one of the questions that would be really good to get in the mode of asking is okay, but what's the one place I should start? If I was going to take one new step, what would that one new step be? What's the one step that would really give me some bang for my buck and right away. What's the low hanging fruit, right? So for all of the things that might improve your sleep, um, one thing that might help a lot is not doom scrolling for an hour right before you go to bed and, you know, reading all of the worst possible news stories in the world. Those could just wait till you get up. You can read those then. That. Might be a thing again, there's a bunch of stuff that could improve your sleep, but for you in your specific situation, it's possible that might be the low hanging fruit that's the one thing where I can try it for a couple of days and just see how's this going. Is this making any difference? I think that giving yourself permission to say, "Look, there could be something to this. I want to try this out and see how it works for me is actually totally reasonable um there's very little advice in the world that is 100% good advice for all people in all situations, no matter the variables, no matter what. So just take it and don't think about it and don't try to adapt it to your situation at all. Very few things work that way. Most stuff, you kind of got to try it out. And you got to adapt it to what you're dealing with and, and see how it goes and take it from there. So give yourself that permission to start with the easy stuff, to start with the low-hanging fruit, to start with stuff that you can try relatively easily that might give you some benefit pretty quickly. If it's working, then not only is this good advice, it's advice that's good for you and you can build from there. We don't have to have this be a binary between there's good advice and bad advice and either take it or don't. We can try things. It's a good idea to get in the mode of trying things and seeing how they go for you. And then building on that sense of momentum.
0: I think that's a great point Uh, to the uh, sleep issue. I would uh, suggest Replacing replacing your doom scrolling with loom scrolling, sure. which is just uh, relaxing videos of people weaving. Um, you definitely sleep better. That's a sleep aid right there. Uh, really love what both these guys gave us on that, and I think a lot of those points are going to tie together because, as Jed points out, with the idea of bite-sized chunks, the idea of where's one thing I start, you can only take in so much advice at once. And that is often going to be a lower amount than the people in your life who are most excited about giving advice will want to give. Yeah. Uh, you can tell the difference if someone likes giving advice just to hear themselves give advice. Um, there's never going to be one place to start. There's going to be the 15 things you should try doing right now. If it's someone like you mentioned a counselor or a, a pastor or a friend or somebody actually knows what they're doing the more someone knows what they're talking about the more they will boil it down to give these one or two things a try, because that's how expertise and experience actually talks in that moment when it's, well, uh, just give me 10 minutes and we're going to rebuild your whole thing from the ground up. That's not going to work. And a good way to uh, let us know that this is someone whose advice we may not, maybe shouldn't have at the top of the, uh, of the pile. We all know someone who, You know, one out of 100 of their things is is a good idea. So if we're really, really desperate, we may go with their thing. But uh, prioritization is always a good, good thing, especially when it comes to advice. And I will repeat again an old maxim from this show we've been saying for a long time, which is one important thing is don't take advice from people whose life you wouldn't want. Yep. That's a lot of things play out of that, but that's always a good place to start. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, In my youth, I caused a lot of pain to my loved ones. I'm afraid that it was too much for them. I'm doing the right things now, but I can't shake the fear that it will never be the same. How can God help me rebuild those relationships? Another excellent question. And Glenn, where would we kick this off?
1: Well, uh, for sure, I, it's 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 good that you're able to look at this and uh, examine ask these tough questions about these tough situations I want to start here the uh, i think um particularly when we're working with people who are coming out of addiction recovery and have have done this, they talk about this idea of making amends and and of course it's a good process it's a it's an important process to to go to people and um you know uh, not only express remorse for what you did but really laying out what you did and what was wrong about it and and taking responsibility for that. Uh, That's a good thing. Uh, I think, you know, regardless of who you've got the beef with and what the beef was over, squashing that beef is a good idea. That's a good thing to do. But that's not exactly the same thing as what you're talking about here. This idea of rebuilding relationships can be something more akin to what do you say we have another go-around here? And that's a different thing. Uh, in, inviting people to, you know, making a confession and, and hopefully receiving that forgiveness and, and doing that is, a, again, a good and healthy and, and righteous thing to do. But sort of inviting them to um, sign up for more of this is a different proposition altogether. So I think that's maybe the first thing to ask is, are you in a place where you're trying to make that amends? You're making a confession, you're you're you know asking for their forgiveness in that situation, or are you trying to say, the fact that I did this makes me feel bad about me, will you say or do something to make me feel better about me, and it would really help in that effort if we just pretended I didn't do it and we have another go-around? It's a very different proposition. So I think it's it's important for you to know where you fall in that. Uh, that uh, what what is it that you're really seeking after? What are you really asking for? Uh, the second thing I'll mention here is uh, why is rebuilding old relationships more than building more important than building new ones? Uh, why re, why is rebuilding old relationships the thing that you're looking to do right now? uh because it, this is a the reality there there are some people that you may have wrong to an extent where you, you kind of need to give them the option to just move on and not have you around uh and that's not a tragedy for you or them it's just uh it it's time for both of us to move on and have different relationships with different people and call it good. you know we can still be friendly, we can still be nice, we can still be concerned about one another. that doesn't mean that's the worst thing in the world. But you know, I have people in my life that have wronged me to an extent where I, forgiveness would be actually pretty easy because you you, you want to be able to close the door on it and and you know have settle the the account so to speak. But you know, I just that doesn't mean I really want any more of that particular circus act in my life anymore. It's just. Uh, I've had enough, you know, why don't you start over with somebody new? That's not only good for the person that's been wronged, but it's also good for the person who has done the wrong thing. It's it's a lot easier to start over from scratch with new people where you make changes and, you know, you're starting on the right foot uh, much more. I think that's more of the life that God wants for you. uh I, Maybe just a final thought on this. If you are thinking about rebuilding these relationships, and that's a good thing and a right thing, you know, if that happens to be what God wants you to do is let's rebuild these old relationships, even though that's kind of a dicey proposition and, you know, kind of doesn't doesn't always work the way we, we expect it to. But if God's in that and he's saying that's what you need to do, step one is are you willing— and open to, and even expecting for them to be mad? Uh, For them to just tell you, I hate you, go away. Because if if you're not open to that, if you're, I mean, we all hope that isn't what happens, obviously, it's it's not like you're going to be indifferent to it. Uh, But are you doing this so that they will be happy with you? or are you doing this so that maybe they can express some of that anger and that frustration and giving them an opportunity to kind of tell you off and vent that out and for you to accept that and say yes you are right to be mad you do deserve better than the way i treated you uh, if you if that's not where your head is at right now then you're not really ready for that rebuilding process uh and it really maybe more about just getting something for yourself so uh, I think hopefully uh, Jed can expand on that, but I, I you know hopefully that gives you some parameters.
0: I think it's an excellent place to start things off. And Jed, I would like you to pick us up there because as Glenn's pointing out, um, re, the idea of rebuilding relationships is one of those things that sounds really good. Yeah. Except for the fact that it kind of can't be done. And by that, which I mean, we've, we've made the point at the bridge many times because we have a lot of folks who either they were in their addiction or they were locked up and they missed junior's uh, seventh birthday party. They feel super bad about that. Well, now junior is 19. And if you threw him a seventh birthday party, that would actually not make up for the miss. That would just weird everyone out. So how do we balance, and we know what they mean by rebuilding the relationship, but how do we balance the idea of building something back with the necessity of moving forward?
2: Well, it's a tough question to be sure. Let's actually start for a second by looking at the way that healthy relationships work, which is healthy relationships evolve over time. Uh, and, and all of them do because we all we all change, man. We all we all grow. We're 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 different people today than we were a few years ago. You are and they are and the the life situations in which you find yourselves are are different. So I'm I'm very blessed to have friends from my college days. Uh, They were friends then, they were friends now, but the nature of our relationship is pretty different now than it was when I was in college. And it would be really weird if that weren't true, because I'm not the same person that I was in college, and they're not the same people they were, and where we are in life is not the same, and what we're doing with our lives is not the same. And so one of the great things about love is that, you know— you can still choose to to know one another and invest in one another's lives and whatnot, but everything has changed and shifted. So these relationships are new and different compared to what they were when we were in college, and, and necessarily so. And again, that's not a sign that something's gone wrong. Actually, if we tried – For us to do exactly what we did in college would literally be to be at the Evanston Burger King at three in the morning every six nights a week. And that is not good for anyone. Also, they closed that restaurant like six months ago, so it's not even possible. So shooting for what used to be, it's often not possible. It's usually not healthy. And so and again, that's true even where nobody did anything bad. That's that's just normal life for you. It's actually going to be kind of the same thing. I, I wanna encourage you to not try and build things back to where they were. You're a different person now. Uh in 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 many ways, no doubt you're a better person now, but but you're also a different person now. And so I think let these relationships be something new. There may well be elements of the past that need to be addressed, and there may well be elements of making amends and forgiveness. We need to build something that is new and for the present day. If we're going to actually have a relationship moving forward, you are not the person that you were then. And actually, they're not either. Um, Their life has changed. Your life has changed. And we in order to be able to have a good relationship moving forward, if that's something that you want and they want. It's going to need to be something new. And again, that is good and healthy and normal. The fact that you didn't have a good relationship 10 years ago, just like Matt saying, we can't go back and make it as though we had a good relationship 10 years ago. That That's actually not doable. But we can figure out if, if we both want to, we can figure out how to have a good relationship today. And that's the thing we really want for you. One bonus point, because it's really, really critical. Shame will not help. There are not easy answers to a lot of this, and there are not uh, concrete or certain answers to a lot of this, but one thing I can tell you is shame will not help. You wanting to make amends for your past is different from feeling a sense of shame. Um, I think as you're trying to navigate, when shame is starting to enter the picture, we really want to hit pause for a second and look at that more closely we can build something new that can be that can be a good and beautiful and healthy thing, but don't let shame color the way that you approach things
0: I think that's that's a really good point, and to tie back to something I was talking about earlier, uh, that also means noticing and letting it be a warning flag when people only want to deal with you through the lens of shame, yeah, typically through yeah. the lens of making you feel shame so you will do something they want you to do or uh feel away you want them to feel. Um rebuilt relationships, restored relationships, another way to put that, are a great thing. Uh they're they're a beautiful thing. They're something we hope we hope for you in your situation. But they are something that can super only happen when both sides are interested in a restored, healthy relationship. Uh they are unfortunately also an open ground for uh manipulation and uh Kind of abusive dynamics and trying to get someone to do something, and that's not a healthy place to be in. And as much as it is, as much as it feels painful to maybe take a step back from someone you're trying to reestablish a relationship with, if they only ever want to talk about or think about or uh, see things through the lens of you being someone who did wrong things, so you should feel bad, so you should do what they want you to, that can't be a restored healthy relationship with that mindset. And as hard as it can be to accept, sometimes you're better off without that relationship in that state. If you want to have a restored relationship, that's great. But you do have to meet some of those qualifications, like where we started off, to get to a healthy relationship, because that is what we want for you. And that's what God wants for you. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul warns against idleness. I feel like that verse mainly gets used to bash poor people. And I don't think that's what it means, so what does it actually mean? And another excellent question, we love the, uh, the, the deep-dive Bible questions, and Glenn, where would we kick it off?
1: Well, you're, you're absolutely right to be skeptical in terms of applying this to poor people, uh, because it in no way at all uh, has anything to do with poor people. So you, you, you're right on track with that. Uh, as you may assume, we will need to go into the deep, deep depths down in the lower archives of the Bible narratorium in order to add to this one. Uh, here's the thing. as uh, second uh, Thessalonians is where we're finding this, and uh, this is going to be sort of a little bit of a weird journey, but the the word that you're translating into idleness there is a tactos, and it it means literally something that's out of line. Now that seems a little odd because how does that relate to idleness? It kind of doesn't seem to fit. Uh, the The way that we get to idleness is really from the context of the of everything going on in that chapter. He's describing how everybody is meant to have a responsibility within the church. And some people are not doing their responsibilities. They're off doing something else, whatever they want to be doing. And so they are out of line. They're, they're not uh, following the instructions. Um, uh, this is uh, this ataktas uh, is a—A uh, a at the beginning means not, you know, so that's like amoral means not moral— uh, ataktos, uh the, the second half of this is tasso. It means um, to to draw up or arrange. So you you you're, you're arranging how you want a meeting to go, how you want a church service to go, how you want a family dinner to go, what have you. Uh, so if you say to you know uh, your daughter, I would like for you to put out the silverware, and you say to your son. I would like for you to put out the condiments or whatever those things are. Uh, if your son or daughter is doing something other than what you had told them to do, they are, uh, in that sense, outside of the way things are drawn up and arranged. So that's the literal meaning of of uh, a, a taktos. Well, uh, so again, in this context, it's people who are not doing the stuff that they were meant to be doing to help uh with the church and help each other out. Uh so because it's something they are not doing, uh they translated that as idleness. And it's a fair it's a fair way to go. Uh, it, it, to me it feels a little bit like we're missing something in there, but it's I I get it. Um but here's the important thing we want to make sure we understand uh, in this you know attack us and idleness kind of stretch that we're doing here is that we're clearly making the point here if you're busy doing something else it still attacked us. You're still out of line. If you're if, if so, like we have our bridge service. We have host teams come in and they provide a meal after the service. They help us clean up. They do the greeting at the beginning. They are given roles to do. They're they're giving given instructions. You stand here. You do this. You say hello to this person. You give this person a napkin. and So on and so forth. Every now and then, there's just somebody who wanders off and is just going to freestyle and do their own thing and. That's attacked us. You know, you you have to go over to that person and say, "What are you doing, man? Well, I'm just freestyling." Yeah, we we're not going to do that. You you know, we we got we're living in a society here, man. We got we, we're trying to run a meeting. If everybody does a free for all, we're not going to get anything done. So you just hand out the napkins, dude. That's this is what we're what you're here for. So I think idleness might suggest to you somebody who is just in generally not up to a whole lot. That's not what this verse is really talking about. This verse is talking about shirking a responsibility. You might be very busy doing something else, and you may think of that something else as very, very important, but the napkins aren't getting handed out because you're not doing the thing that we've asked you to do here. So in this context, I think we need to... I'll let these other guys unpack that, but I think it's really... About recognizing that if you are busy and got a lot going on, and you're using that really almost as an excuse for not doing what you're supposed to be doing, then in your busyness, you are. This verse would apply more to you than to someone who's maybe <laughs> obeying in sort of a, a casual sort of way.
0: A real another really really good place to start that off, and oh yes, listener, believe me. There will be a trip to the Nerdatorium in the deepest, darkest reaches of the James Bond uh Christian Botfarm movie. That's going to be kind of your final uh your final base where you know the the alarm's going off and there's the uh the disembodied voice. You have 45 seconds to flee the nerdatorium. <laughs> that kind of whole thing will, it will definitely be happening. Uh and Jed, I think Glenn gave us a great look at how this verse actually is meant to be used, but I think we would do well to Acknowledge and follow up on our question askers. Very good point that there is another way it is mostly interpreted, and there are uh, reasons and motivations behind that interpretation as well, right? There's
2: no question about it. So, again, Glenn's given us a really good thorough deep dive and some great exegesis. For the sake of argument, let's go with the standard, interestingly, the standard lazy reading of this text, which is Paul's saying, Don't be lazy. Because lazy people shouldn't eat. Uh, Again, as as Glenn has rightly pointed out, that's actually not what it's saying. But let's just go with that for a second, because there's something to to be noted here. Being anti-lazy is different than being anti-poor. Let me repeat that. I want you to think about that. Being anti-lazy is different than being anti-poor. And the reason that I can confidently say that is being poor and being lazy don't have anything to do with each other. They're actually not connected ideas unless you are conflating the two in your mind, which is what Americans do.
0: Now, Jed, remind me, which, which group of people is it that goes on at a almost unceasing end about passive income? Is that poor people?
3: <laughs> or is that some other
0: segment of people?
2: So here's the here's the interesting thing about that is um, if you want to be lazy and get away with it, then you need to be rich. That's that's literally how how life works. There's an old maxim. The more money you have, the easier it is to make more money, which is undeniably true. It is mathematically true. It is economically true. There is a um, an implication of that idea, which is the more money you have, the more you can be lazy and idle and make poor choices And still be totally fine and totally get away with it um, and have your life be super duper great, at least from a material standpoint, um, because you started with a bunch of resources. We need to be crystal clear, poor and lazy don't have anything to do with each other. There is a great American lie that hard work equals success and money. That is not true. I don't know how to tell you in strong enough terms, hard work does not equal success and money. That it just is not true. And here's the great thing. You don't have to take my word for it. You can take the Bible, and particularly the section of the Bible that is purported to have been written by the wisest man who ever lived. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. This is the word of God saying that success and just being super awesome and working super hard, that's actually not how life works. And we've made a moral judgment as a country that We really want that to be true. So when we've got people who are going through a rough time, which may be an economically rough time, they must be experiencing that because they're not awesome in the ways that I'm awesome. They must be experiencing that because they don't work hard in the ways that I work hard. And again, not only does the logic of that break down under the slightest bit of examination, but the Bible is clear that that is not the case that that is simply not a biblical view of the world or of other people. If we want to link these ideas back to where Glenn started us uh, and, and the actual right reading of the text, here, here's a key question is, are people participating responsibly in their own lives and in God's provision for them? Are people... Are people uh again, as Christians, we we believe that, that God provides for our needs, but are are people in in a responsible way participating in that? He, here's what I think you would find as someone where I've had the great privilege and pleasure of, of dealing with folks who are going through seasons of being economically disadvantaged and and I've done that for a bunch of years. Um I think what you would find if you were looking at uh, part- uh, responsible participation is. I think you would find that that is massively higher amongst people who are economically disadvantaged versus people who uh, have a ton of money and resources already. Like I, I think that you you would find the reverse of what American culture tells you. To, to put it really bluntly, I think you would find that poor people work super super hard uh, compared to people who have a lot of money and a lot of resources. At the end of the day, again, I can't say this strongly enough. Hard work does not equal success and money. Um, If you have blessings in your life, it is not because you were just amazing and you worked super hard. You have them because God gave them to you, which means you have a responsibility to use them the way that God wants to see them used. They are not yours to hoard. They are yours to be used in the way that God wants in order for you to bless other people. Don't make the mistake of equating poor, and lazy. That's not what this passage is doing, and that doesn't even make any sense.
0: Another great, great point, and both these guys uh, laid down some excellent, excellent stuff on this. Uh, A couple things I I will attack on to the end here, because probably the the bit of this passage that most gets thrown around to uh, browbeat anyone who uh, is economically disadvantaged is uh, from verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Again, that's, and there's a lot of people who use that to uh, point towards uh, work mandates and not giving uh, hungry children free lunches and all sorts of things. Uh, now, we're talking about agricultural work, tilling the fields. So uh, I would like to uh, personally uh, turn around and apply this verse to landlords who do not work. (laughs) They just own a piece of property Mm -hmm. and get income from it. So I don't see why they deserve to eat, but that's really not what it means. And you know that, and it doesn't mean it the other way either. But, uh, that's again, Paul talking about a very specific time with a very specific issue that was trying to be fixed and to go all the way back to, uh, Glenn's really good stuff about not doing the thing you're supposed to. Um, and then verse 11, I think we get some insight into what's going on here. we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Uh, the, way the, is the, yeah. the way the NIV puts it. This passage is also just not talking about people who are uh, sitting down during the day and keeping to themselves. This is people who are not doing the thing they're supposed to do to be helpful to a community and are also just getting involved and screwing it up for everyone else because they're bored, because they're not doing anything productive. Again, I can, and I'm sure you can think of a lot of people in the world that this might apply to. And none of them are the people who are having to work three jobs to uh, feed themselves because those people, whatever else you may think about them, they're definitely busy. There's an idleness (laughs) that is a doing nothing. And, but not only is this about idleness, it's about that idea of people who are idle and disruptive. That is an important uh, addition there. And I think it really helps us see the, it, the problem that uh, Paul is talking about here. And on that, we can kind of uh, surmise some things about the solution he's pointing to. And I think that's all very, very well worth digging into. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, dot dot com slash ask. If you want to keep that totally anonymous. You can also join us every Sunday, 7 p.m. Central Time at facebook.com slash Bridge If you'd like to join us for the Bridgecast, a video uh, version of our Bridge service. And if you can't catch that live, you can check it out whenever you want to at that same Facebook page. We're going to tell you the song this week. It's time to get some Lee Younger up in these episodes. This is a song uh, that they do quite often down there at Christ Community Church that Lee recorded for us called Magnify the Lord. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do with it.
1: Coming to a Facebook post near you. Pastor Johnson lives a second life as an international spy in the upcoming direct-to-digital movie, Bot Battle. These (laughs) Yugoslavian bots are taking over our algorithms. It's up to me and my bulletproof sweater to stop them. I'd watch that.
0: Yeah. Well, I sought the Lord, and he
3: answered me. In all my trials, he's been my refuge. And from my fears, he's delivered me. When I cry out, he